welcome back to Let's Call It Nothing podcast, where we discuss all things fangirl. I've been awake for five hours. I should be awake. I've been awake on and off every hour since four o'clock, okay? Reva is scared. It's a rough, it was a rough night last night. I mean, I slept good. You did? Until like 7.10 this morning. Well, I did wake up and heard a rustle, rustle, bustle, bustle, which I had zero concern about. Yeah. Evidently, I should have. There was a mouse in her house. Yes, in my house. There's a mouse in this house. Trying to eat my snacks. Evidently, it's cute. It's tiny. You should have sang to it. (laughs) I don't think that would have worked out. He was scared. He was scared of Reba. But also, if I started singing, you would have woke up and went, what? I still think you should have crawled in my bed and been like, Caitlin. (laughs) Crawl over the pile of clothes. (laughs) Lay on top of them. And you're like, "Uh, so there was a mouse. (laughs) Also, a ghost. <laughs> so, just warning you. And that would have been like, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> Rolls over the other way, goes back to sleep. Like, did you say hi? Did you bake it cookies? <laughs> have you seen that thing that's like, when you're too, when your house is haunted, but you're too poor to move out? <laughs> and like, there's one part where he's like, like, it's in blood on the mirror. Get out. And he just wipes it away. <laughs> like, oh, I think I've seen that. All the cabinet doors are open. He just shuts them like. <laughs> no, but I feel that. Yeah. And then like. The ghost is trying to confront him, and he's like, "Look, man, I, I do I pay see rent. this. Do you? He's <laughs> like, do you see this house? I can't afford furniture right now. <laughs> yeah, because I think what there's literally a mattress or one chair, a single chair, like a bing bag. Yeah, bing bag chair in this floor. <laughs> he's like, oh really? So you died from a Tinder date? <laughs> it's just like so funny. Love it. Anyway, if all ghosts were, really- <laughs> yeah. So we are back discussing Echo War by Sarah J. Mass. Mm-hmm. What happened last time? Something. They went to see the bone kava. The bone kava. <laughs> That's all she's got. <laughs> and he asked for Ouroboros. Oro. <laughs> Boros. And our southern accent. Ouroboros. <laughs> it's a mer. It's a mer. <laughs> for the people who are not southern, that is how you. Mirror. It's a, a mirror. 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 And we probably still didn't say it right because it's a mer. Where where is the Ouroboros, Peyton? It's in Hune City, aka the Court of Nightmares, and the Inner Circle and Nesta are going to the Court of Nightmares. That was a <laughs> broken. Yes, I've been broken for a long time now. <laughs> I know. Yep. So they're all dialed up, ready to go. Yep. We are starting back at chapter twenty-five. I'm sorry, I cannot well, we can breathe. breathe through my nose. <laughs> I can't either. So chapter twenty-five. The inner circle and Nesta headed to Hewn City. When the group walked towards the oh, die at dais dais farron noticed only one throne reese had anticipated this he smiled and placed himself on the arm of the throne leaving the seat open for farron he's like come here darling yes as declared high lady of the night court farron sat down reese told all present to bow farron stared down anyone in the court of nightmares who didn't reese commented to cure on the lack of two thrones presuming it must be due to them showing up last minute you know mm-hmm. some residents sized up farron's powers mentally trying to get close to her she attacked them with her daimati powers showcasing her abilities and their need to not try her again reese commanded the court 
to not dare touch her. Mara continued on in a queenly manner. Nesta looked at her sister as if seeing her for the first time. She's like, man, this bitch is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, Mara, oh, huh? oh. <laughs> like your little sister and you're like, oh, well, damn. Okay. To settle the room, Reese told everyone to drink and be merry. Mm. He's the court jester at this point. Yeah. He's got a new job position. Yeah. <laughs> there was bitch. <laughs> The inner circle and Kira went to discuss matters in Hewn City's council room. They were noted an extra chair at the table, finding it odd. Their discussion began as Kier stated how Reese obviously came in hopes that Kier would offer his legions to help in the war. Kier, being the douche he is, said he felt some sympathy for Highburn. After all, he knew how it felt to be trapped, just as he was with his people under the mountain. Reese just blew off that comment. Here questioned why Reese needed his help when he had the Illyrian warriors. But Reese already knew Kier just wanted something in return. Kier countered that since Reese whored himself out to Amarantha, maybe Farah could whore herself out this time. Reese told Kier that he would kill him if he ever spoke like that again. It's like, I broke your hand last time. You want to keep on? You want to go? You want to lose the rest of your body? I can't override your decision for your warriors and what you do with them, but I can kill you, and I will. Reese also acknowledged Kier's reluctance, something he'd prepared for before coming. Reese turned and said, bring him in. The door's open to reveal... Eris. And y'all that don't remember, Eris is Lucian's brother who pretty horrible. Yeah, he um, um, did some to more. He was previously betrothed to more. Left her in the dust. Yeah. Chapter 26. Reese had invited the heir of the Autumn Court to this meeting. Moore shot him a look of betrayal. Meanwhile, Farah asked Reese why he did this through the bond. He spoke back restrained and then not at all. So I said, I'm sure we will get there because Reese does this thing. But I thought we were trying to be more open like him and Feyre. Mm-hmm. We're just like, oh, we're going to talk to each other. We're going to like mm-hmm. have that communication or whatever. We're not going to fight in front of the others. All that. Yeah. But then he's still not telling her. Yeah. And like, like big stuff. And I was at first like, Reese, my man. But then I remembered stuff he does throughout the rest of these books. Yeah. And I was like, honestly, that's just who he is. And I said, he is protective to a fault. Yes, he is. Because he claims that every decision he makes is to protect the people he cares about, which mm-hmm. it is. But it also hurts them. And yes. it's hard for him to realize that. And we will see throughout these next couple chapters kind of how he handles that. Mm-hmm. Reese told Care that Eris agreed to an alliance between Hewn City and the Autumn Court. But for Care, this wasn't enough. He wanted more, starting with access to Valeris. Moore said no, but Reese didn't. Farah immediately rebutted through the bond. Reese insisted he took precautions. That's why he had met with the palace governors. I just think it's funny because you were like, this is completely irrelevant. This is never brought up again. And I was like, Peyton, right here. Right here. But we're never even told what they are, what they do. I like, you can guess that they're the ones for our, the palace of like, what is it? Salt meat or whatever. And then the palace of like jewels and yeah. 
threads or what have you. He was but. just doing, you know, the work he needed to do for everyone to agree to that. But I was just like, see, there yeah. is a reason I he guess did that. Reese told Care there would be rules and limited access. When Reese insisted there would be conditions for Care, Moore yearned to say more. Asriel, however, stopped her. Care first tried to argue his demands, but eventually agreed. Farrah told Care she wanted Ouroboros. He found this amusing. Are you laughing at how I say it? Ouroboros. Ouroboros. And this is from the book. Do you even know what the Ouroboros is, Care said? Consider your tone, Care, Reese warned. Care leaned forward, bracing his forearms on the table. The mirror... He laughed under his breath. Consider it my mating present, he added with sweet venom, if you can take it. Not a threat to face him, but what do you mean? Care rose to his feet, smirking like a cat with a canary in its mouth. To take the Ouroboros, to claim it, you must first look into it. He headed for the doors, not waiting to be dismissed. And everyone who has attempted to do so has either gone mad or been broken beyond repair. Even a high lord or two, if legend is true, a shrug. So it is yours, if you dare face it. Care paused at the threshold as the doors opened on a phantom wind. Care left the room with a weird excuse that concerns me even more about the con. Did I, did I write that or did you? Oh, okay. So he said something about like, oh, I gotta go handle one of my guy's daughters or whatever, like, or she can't be handled or something. Yeah. Like it was really disturbing. Yes. Court of Nightmares. Yeah. It was really disturbing. And I was just like, this is the Court of Nightmares, Caitlin. There's a reason. Like, I can only guess yeah, what is happening right now. Yeah, it's terrible. I was very confused at what the con was. Like, they had the Comic Con. I, I typed it up and I was just like, that will be confusing, but I will be paying attention and able to clarify. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Here we have it. Eris sat there, sipping his wine casually like a supervillain. He insisted he wasn't planning on telling Baron about Farrah's powers because it wouldn't be beneficial to him. As they spoke, Moore realized that Reese had clearly contacted Eris. Everything about this had been planned. Meanwhile, Eris tried to act like the good guy, saying that there was there were reasons for why he left Moore to die and hunted Farrah down in the woods. Farrah asked about Lucian. Eris explained his father sent orders to kill his brother. It was the only time he ever disobeyed orders and sent word to Tamlin to help save him. Eris told Reese his life would be much simpler if he would just kill Baron and Eris could give him the troops immediately. But Reese said no. Eris taunted more for a little bit and then left. Okay, so I had added a bunch to this, including my own thoughts, because Peyton was just like, oh, ugh. Eris. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, no, 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 hold up. I'm not trying to play devil's advocate or anything, but like, there are some things I noticed. As it also may come from, like, having read the rest of this in Silver Flames, which Eris is in Silver Flames, so there's a little bit of it there. I said, is he a bad guy? Yes. Yes. And I said, that's not really the discussion, but there are a couple of quotes that I found into the stink. Okay, so the part whenever like him and Moore kind of going back and forth mm-hmm. and he comments like I don't know who fed you those lies like likely the bastards you surround yourself with and he's like talking about Cassie and Asriel. Yeah. And she's like well you've never given me any evidence to the contrary certainly not whenever you left me in those woods and Eris responds there were forces at work that you've never considered and I'm not going to waste my breath explaining them to you. Believe what you want about me. 
So he's kind of in this thing of like, I can't change your mind. Yeah. How you feel. And like, there's a lot that happened and a lot about me that you don't know. But you already hate me, so I'm not going to bother. But what kills me is, so I just read Silver Flames. And I went back and I was looking at Frost and Starlight to get ready for my episode where I just bitch about it. I read the part, like, more section in Frost and Starlight again, because I forgot it was in there, honestly. It was, I shouldn't have. It was the only important thing that happened in the entire novella. But he, I mean, she's, he left her to die. And then in Silver Flames, he's like, but I helped you more. Do you not remember? But here he's like, oh, I'm not going to explain it to you because you see me as the bad guy. Which one is it, Eris? Which one is it? I don't think he knows. He doesn't. And I mean, my last point that I made, I still have more like quotes and stuff. But I said, what is it with these Autumn Court boys just making the worst decisions? They do. Like Baron them up. <laughs> he really did. Like he did a number on them. Let's see. Also, an heiress quote was, not all of us are so lucky uh, in our friends and family as you recent. And I was like, he is jealous. Yes. Recent is surrounded by people who care. Yes. Because he doesn't have that. So, like, before he leaves or whatever, um, and he's talking to more, he's like, oh, you let your emotions slip while talking to your father. Mm-hmm. Like, he notices that. And then um, he tells her, I wouldn't have touched you, but when you f- the other bastard, I knew why you did it. So, I gave you your freedom, ending the betrothal in no uncertain terms. And then Azrael's like, and what happened next? And Eris said, there are a few things I regret. That is one of them. But perhaps one day, now that we're allies, I shall tell you why, what it cost me. So, like, he's giving these hints of, like, but there's more. But he's doing the thing where he's not going to tell you right then. Nope. He's not going to tell you. He's like, you still hate me, so I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to give you little hints. And I'm like, you know, Reese Sam was kind of the same way. Yeah. Earlier on where he was like, well, there's more to this. There's more about this. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you just lay it all out there and let them do with it as they may. Mm-hmm. We might all like you a little bit more. Yeah. Considerate. Which there's probably going to be more books. Yes. Um, Further on down the line, I don't think SJM has even started writing this. No. We are castaways. Ahoy there. Chapter 27. Everyone left the Court of Nightmares. Vera decided Ouroboros was a fool's errand. When they arrived back at the townhouse, Moore confronted Reese about what had happened. Quoted from the book, Reese just stood there staring down at her, his face unreadable, watching as she slammed her hands into his chest and shouted, Why? He yielded a step. Eris found Azriel. Our hands were tied. I made the best of it. His throat bobbed. I'm sorry. Cassian was sizing them up, frozen halfway across the room, and I assumed Reese was telling him mind to mind. I assumed he was telling Amarin and perhaps even Lucian and Nesta from their surprise blinks. More world on Azriel. Why didn't you say anything? Azriel held her gaze unflinchingly, didn't so much as rustle his wings, because you would have tried to stop it, and we can't afford to lose Kier's alliance and face the threat of Eris. You're working with that prick? Cassian cut in. He moved to Moore's side, a hand on her back. He shook his head at Azriel and Reese, disgust curling his lip. You should have spiked Eris's head to the front gates. Azriel only watched them with that icy indifference, but Lucian crossed his arms, leaning against the back of the couch. I have to agree with Cassian. Harris is a snake. Yeah, Lucian is just like, uh, I ain't a part of this, but my brother's evil. <laughs> like, I don't know what y'all are. This isn't a me thing, but Cassian. It's like, you wouldn't see me crying about it. <laughs> yeah, I would be three brothers down. 
It's like, I don't want that throne, but like, the less of my brothers out there, the better. Perhaps Reese had not filled him in on everything then, on what Eris had claimed about saving his youngest brother in whatever way he could, of his defiance. Your whole family is despicable, Amran said to Lucian from where she and Nesta lingered in the archway, but Eris may prove a better alternative if he can find a way to kill Baron off and make sure the power shifts to himself. I'm sure he will, Lucian said. But Moore was still staring at Reese, those silent tears streaming down her flushed cheeks. It's not about Eris, she said, voice wobbling. It's about here. She waved a hand to the townhouse, the city. This is my home, and you're going to let Kier destroy it. I took precautions, Reese said, and edged to his voice. I had not heard in some time, many of them, starting with meeting with the governors of the palaces and getting them to agree never to serve, shelter, or entertain Kier anyone from the Court of Nightmares. Ah-ha-ha-ha! Just saying, it was kind of pointless to discuss all that. It gave you your answers. I do find it interesting how, like, they think that Moore is upset over, like, Eris being there and all the shit that he done. But it's care being... But she's like, no, you're letting my evil father into the place that I love. Mm -hmm. Like, Moore blinked. Cassian's hand moved to her shoulder and squeezed. They have been sending out the word to every business owner in the city, Reese went on, every restaurant and shop and venue, so Kier and his ilk may come here, but they will not find it a welcoming place, or one where they can even procure lodgings. Moore shook her head as she whispered, He'll destroy it. Cassian slid his arm around her shoulders, his face harder than I'd ever seen it as he studied Reese. Then Azriel, You should have warned us. I should have, Reese said, though he didn't sound sorry for it. Azrael just remained a foot away, wings tucked in tight, and siphons glimmering. I stepped in at last. We'll set limitations on when and how often they come. Moore shook her head, still not looking anywhere but at Reese. If Amarantha were alive, the words slithered through the room, darkening the corners. If she were alive and I offered to work with her, even if it was to save us all, how would you feel? Never. They'd never come this close to discussing what had happened to him. I approached Reese's side, brushing my fingers against his. His own curled around mine. If Amarantha offered us a slim shot at survival, Reese said, his gaze unflinching, then I would not give a that she made me f*** her for all those years. Cassian flinched. The entire room flinched. If Amarantha showed up at the door right now, Reese snarled, pointing toward the foyer entry, and she could buy us a chance of defeating Hybern, I keeping all of you alive, I would thank the f***ing cauldron. Moore shook her head, tears slipping free again. You don't mean that. I do. Back to the notes. Pharaoh felt the bond as a raging dark void while Reese said this. Amaran piped in, saying that she had held them all together for 49 years, and she was not going to allow Moore to let the inner circle fall apart now. Working with Kier and Eris didn't mean Moore forgave them, and if Moore wanted the two dead after this war, Amaran had no problem butchering them for her. Moore only responded that her father would poison Valeris. Amaran told Moore she wouldn't allow it. Reese looked upset, and Pharaoh slid her hand into his, reassuring him down the bod. Quote, I see you, and it does not frighten me. Amron told him while he made the right call, he should have prepared the inner circle. Reese apologized to Amron and Moore, and Amron just watched between Moore and Reese. Moore merely shook her head in acceptance. Pharaoh reminded everyone how they were facing a war. They couldn't let anything, even this, pull them apart. When Cassian asked Pharaoh about Ouroboros, Pharaoh was forced to admit to Amron the truth about going to the prison. They explained how they were there to visit the bone carver in hopes of discovering how to eventually release him. Then they asked how she managed to escape. At first, Amra refused to tell them, but then a barrier was placed around them. Quoted from the book, Her brows narrowed. I had to give something up. I had to give me up to walk out. I had to become something else entirely, something the prison would not recognize. So I, I bound myself into this body. 
I'd never heard her stumble over a word before. You said someone else bound you, Reese questioned carefully. I lied, to cover what I'd done, so none could know. To escape the prison, I made myself mortal. Immortal as you are, but mortal compared to to what I was. And what I was, I did not feel the way you do, the way I do now. Some things, loyalty and wrath and curiosity, but not the full spectrum. Again, that faraway look. I was perfect, according to some. I did not regret, did not mourn. In pain, I did not experience it. And yet, yet I wound up here, because I was not quite like the others. Even as, as what I was, I was different. Too curious, too questioning. The day the rip appeared in the sky, it was curiosity that drove me. My brothers and sisters fled. Upon the orders of our ruler, we had just laid waste to twin cities, smote them wholly into rubble on the plain. And yet, they fled from that rip in the world. But I wanted to look. I wanted. I was not built or bred to feel such selfish things as want. I'd seen what happened to those of my kind who stayed, who learned to place their needs first, who developed feeling. But I went through the tear in the sky, and here I am. And you gave all that up to get out of the prison? Moore asked softly. I yielded my grace, my perfect immortality. I knew that once I did, I would feel pain and regret. I would want, and I would burn with it. I would fall. But I was... The time locked away down there, I didn't care. I had not felt the wind on my face, had not smelled the rain. I did not even remember what they felt like. I did not remember sunlight. It was to Azriel that her attention drifted, the shadow singer's darkness pulling away to reveal eyes full of understanding. Locked away. So I bound myself into this body. I shoved my burning grace deep into me. I gave up everything I was. The cell door just unlocked. And so I walked out. A burning grace that still smolders far within her, visible only through the smoke in her gray eyes. That will be the cost of freeing the carver, Amran said. You will have to bind him into a body, make him bay, and I doubt he will agree to it, especially without the Ouroboros. We were silent. You should have asked me before you went, she said, that sharpness returning to her tone. I would have spared you the visit. Reese swallowed. Can you be unbound? Not by me. What would happen if you were? Amran stared at him for a long while. Then me. Cassian, Azriel, Moore, Nesta, finally back to my mate. I would not remember you. I would not care for any of you. I would either smite you or abandon you. What I feel now, it would be foreign to me. It would hold no sway. Everything I am, this body, it would cease to be. What were you? Nesta breathed, coming around Cassian to stand at his side. Amran toyed with one of her black pearl earrings. A messenger and soldier assassin. <laughs> soldier assassin is literally the only reason that i wrote this down because i was like if i say it people are going to be like peyton that's dumb but if it's in the book they're going to be like yeah okay she was a soldier assassin a Go messenger on. and soldier assassin for a wrathful god who ruled a young world i could feel the questions of the others brewing reese's eyes were near glowing with them so, I mean, there's a lot of foreshadowing in that. Yeah, stuff. stuff. Not just this series. That's the thing. Like, this is sort of SJM's little sprinkle of stuff you need to look out for. In other books. Other series. The Tear Through the Sky, that one I know about. Uh-huh. There's a bunch of other stuff I don't know about yet because I haven't, like, read Crescent City those books. Like, the Throne of Glass parallels, I know. Uh, also, can we talk about the facts? You know, we've brought it up once or twice, but not in a full 
range other than like a in the beginning of Akomath, but Azriel and Amarin do not get along. <sighs> like Azriel's always been skeptical and yeah worried of yeah. Amran, but now that he's heard her story of the prison, he's kind yeah. of sympathetic to her now. Yeah. Fun. I mean, it ha- I hate that it's literally because they both were trapped w- without being able to see the sunshine. Yeah. But yeah, he's like kindred spirit. Back to the notes. The group planned to ask more, but Elaine showed up. Ugh. Elaine? Uh, really? Right. Elaine. She just like pops in. <laughs> like she hears silence. Yeah. And she pops into the room and they're all talking. She's just like, she said she didn't hear their conversation, but was drawn by the sound of someone crying. When they asked who, she said someone who everyone thought was dead, but wasn't. The crying woman was young, but withered. She talked about a black stone and a feather of fire that melted the snow. Vera saw this as evidence of Elaine's insanity. Elaine went on, though, saying, It was angry. It was so, so angry that something was taken, so it took something from them as punishment. As she left, the group could only ponder Elaine's words. Later, Feyre asked Nesta about her training. Nesta claimed to fail at everything, and Feyre felt sorry for her sister, but knew with Nesta, showing sympathy was a bad idea. So instead, she asked what they should do with Elaine. And Nesta asked what she wanted to do, get Reese to scramble Elaine's mind. Feyre told her, of course not. But Nesta said maybe this was simply the price Elaine had to pay for youth and immortality. When Feyre asked what Nesta had to pay, her sister said the torture of Elaine being mad while she was still sane. Pharaoh believed this to be a lie. After Nessa stalked away, Lucian approached, telling Pharaoh they should seek out a healer for Elaine, and Pharaoh agreed. Then she went to her room and cried. Reese rubbed her back and comforted comforted. Comforted. Reese rubbed her back and comforted her. She asked if he was alright, to which he said no. He should have found another way. Yeah, he went on saying if he was faced with Amaranth that he would kill her without letting her even speak. Pharaoh already knew this, though. What he said in the Court of Nightmares about taking those risks, even if it meant playing alongside the enemy, that wasn't true then. Reese explained that tonight proved why he must shoulder everything. If he didn't, those he loved would end up hurt. Quoted, I made a bad call. Pharaoh asked if he would be willing to look into Ouroboros. He said, not yet, and held her tighter, repeating those words. Not yet, not yet, not yet. Because he doesn't want to give up everything, yeah. like even even the chance of it. But I do like seeing like him realizing, like, oh, that was kind of f***ed up tonight. Yeah. But also, like, would I have changed it? Probably not. No, he wouldn't have. And literally all he had to do was give a warning. I know she's upset. He, but. he, he, he in his mind, made the best decision he possibly could yeah. at that moment in time. And Feyre, like, threw out this so far. Like, even when she's pissed, she's still just like, it's okay. Yeah. I know. I know. Uh, the, I understand. I think it's because she's also another one of those people who sees both sides yeah and she's like i get it but you also did something (laughs) you might want to talk to more about it tomorrow get a good night's rest get over it okay chapter 28 the next morning pharaoh went to train with cassian and then asriel she still wasn't very successful when pharaoh insisted they keep the training rigorous today even after the rough night Cassian mentioned how he used physical activity like training to cope. They were agreed that that would work for today. After Azrael's flying lesson, 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 
We're all just having trouble with words today. <laughs> After Azriel's flying lesson, Moore told Farah that they had received word from three courts for the High Lord meeting. Day, dawn, and winter. Moore revealed that after last night, her and Reese had a discussion. He explained why he had brought Kier and Eris into the equation. As far as Asriel's involvement, Moore had simply been called off guard. And this, y'all, I said, there's this thing with unrequited love where one party uses it to their um, advantage. And it kind of irks me because Moore like always trusts that Asriel's going to be on her side and yes. do what's best for her. And she, she's like, yeah, I was just surprised that he didn't, you know, he did this and didn't tell me about it. Like, didn't he immediately. He didn't well. consult with me before he yeah, did that. Like, I thought we had a deal. And I'm like, no more. He's just been in love with you all these years. And so he wants to, you know, think about you, like do stuff for you. The one time he doesn't and you expect, uh, like, That's why so didn't he think of me this time? And I'm like, maybe he's getting over you. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we're all moving on. I don't know. I mean, a couple hundred years of a lot. Yeah. The healer then arrived to see Elaine, and she told Vera and Nesta that she couldn't see anything wrong with their sister. She explained that since Elaine was cauldron maid, she would have a shield up, one that the healer couldn't see through. Nesta had a few choice words with the healer in, in rebuttal. She sure did. Uh-huh. The healer suggested that Lucian talk to her through their mating bond. After she left, Feyre agreed that was their best possible chance at getting to Elaine. Lucian told them he had to freshen up a little bit first. I love that. I love that part. He's like, can you give me a minute? He's got to go talk to himself in the mirror. Yes. He's got to hype himself up. He's like, I need to go freshen up. Let me brush my brain. And he's looking. He's like, I can do this. You got this, man. You got this. Just You are handsome. You are charming. Face, puts on some cologne. Or, I'm sorry. Washes his face, puts on some cologne. He's like, okay, I got this. Proofs his hair a bit. Kind of shines his eye. Oh. You are the forgotten son of the autumn court. Life has been hard. This is just harder, but you can do it. This is your reward. Get the girl. She is like... Suffering from insanity right now. Does not know who you are. Keeps on talking about this other man and then mentions a bunch of stuff like that makes no f yeah, sense. But maybe she'll see you today. Maybe she will. That's yeah. why he's freshening up and putting on cologne. Moore and Farah pretended they weren't. Chapter 29. Chapter 29. <laughs> Moore and Farah pretended they weren't paying attention to Elaine and Lucian sitting in front of them. Lucian and Elaine sat in silence. Nesta craned her neck, trying to see what was going on from the other room. Amryn kept snapping at her to pay attention as they practiced building mental walls. As they sat in silence, Lucian suddenly tugged on the bond, causing Elaine to jump to her feet. Lucian apologized for the invasion. Both Farah and Nesta attempted to invade, more keeping Farah seated as Nesta came into the room. After acknowledging the pool, Elaine said to Nesta, Twin ravens are coming, one black and one white. Nesta hid her frustration at the possibility of her sister finally making sense. Instead, she asked Elaine what she needed. Elaine said, Sunshine. And Nesta led her to the garden. You know what that reminds me of? Stranger Things. Whenever she was like, sunshine. Sunshine. Wait, what is it? It's just like this uh, Eleven's mom. She just, rainbow. Rainbow. Oh, I was like, what are you talking about? But <laughs> whenever her mom's like going crazy. 
just saying all the things she remembers, but one of them was like, sunshine, rainbow. Farrah asked Lucian if he felt anything. He replied he had finally reached her right before she jumped up. Farrah mentioned trying their method another day. Lucian then noted the response letters from the other High Lords. He stated it was going to be difficult to find a neutral territory. Farrah asked if he had any ideas, to which Lucian asked for a map. A few days later, Farrah trained with Azriel, taking out a tree in the process. You mean a tree taking her out? <laughs> I think she killed the tree in the process. Whenever she was like, has that tree always been there? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I was like, dude, this is me. She reflected on her war preparations, going over possible location meetings with Lucian and Reese, trying to help Nesta and Amran, and researching Ouroboros. They couldn't find any story of someone facing the mirror without going insane. Farrah continued to train, but kept finding those damn trees. Asriel told her he was scared of flying at first and didn't trust his instincts. When Farrah asked if she would be ready to fly with them in the war, Asriel replied, probably not. But it was best to be prepared to do what she could do. He then told Farrah that Cassian and Reese both taught him how to fly. Azrael explained that after Reese returned from the war, he told Azrael a story. And this is the story from the book. Because it was such an effort, Azrael said, a few years after the war, Reese brought me back a story. It was a gift. He went to see Miriam and Draken in their ho new home. The visit so secret, even we hadn't known it was happening until he returned. He knew their people hadn't drowned in the sea, as everyone believed, as they wanted people to believe. You see, when Miriam freed her people from the Queen of the Black Land, she led all of them, nearly 50,000 of them, across the desert, all the way to the shores of the Aetherian Sea. Draken's aerial legion providing cover, but they got to the sea and found the ships they'd arranged to transport them over the narrow channel to the next kingdom had been destroyed. Destroyed by the Queen herself, who sent her lingering armies to drag her former slaves back. Draken's people, the Seraphim, are winged, like us, but their wings are feathered, and unlike us, their army and society allow women to lead, to fight, to rule. All of them are gifted with mighty magic of wind and air, and when they beheld that army charging after them, they knew their own forces was too small to face them. So they cleaved the sea itself, made a path through the water all the way through the channel and ordered the humans to run. All right, I'm going to pause right there before I continue the story. So here in the next few chapters, we're going to get a lot of biblical references. Yeah, I was reading this part and went, what? <laughs> There's two references to exodus sorry I i'm like moving on you but there's two references to exodus this is like when they when moses parted the red sea and yes. they went through uh being chased by ramsey's army and so i was like dang we getting in it we getting in the the bible stuff and also the seraphim seraphim is a type of angel too so back to the book they did but miriam insisted on remaining behind until every last one of her people had crossed not one human would she leave behind not one they were about halfway through the crossing when the army reached them the seraphim were spent their magic could barely hold the sea passage and draken knew that if they held it any longer that army would make it across and butcher the humans on the other side the seraphim fought off the vanguard on the floor of the sea and it was bloody and brutal and chaotic and during the melee they didn't see miriam skewered by the queen herself draken didn't see 
He thought she made it out, carried by one of his soldiers. He ordered the parted sea to come down to drown the enemy force. But a young seraphim cartographer named Nephel saw Miriam go down. Nephel's lover was one of Draken's generals, and it was she who realized Miriam and Nephel were missing. Draken was frantic, but their magic was spent, and no forces in the world could hold back the sea as it barreled down, and no one could reach his mate in time. But Nephel did. Nephel, you see, was a cartographer because she had been rejected from the Legion's fighting ranks. Her wings were too small. The right one somewhat malformed, and she was slight, short enough that she'd be a dangerous gap in the front line when they fought shield to shield. Dragon had let her try out for the Legion as a courtesy to her lover, but Nephil failed. She could barely carry the Seraphim shield. Her smaller wings hadn't been strong enough to keep up with the others, so she had made herself invaluable as a cartographer during the war, helping Draken and her lover find geographical advantages in their battles. And she became Miriam's dearest friend during those long months as well. And that day on the seafloor, Nephil remembered that her friend had been in in the back of the line. She returned for her, even as all the others fled for the distant shore. She found Miriam skewered on the queen's spear, bleeding out, the seawall starting to come down on the opposite shore killing the approaching army first, racing toward them. Miriam told Nephil to save herself, but Nephil would not abandon her friend. She picked her up and flew. When Reese spoke to Draken about it years later, he still didn't have the words to describe what happened. It defied all logic, all training. Nephil, who had never been strong enough to hold a seraphim shield, carried Miriam triple the weight. And more than that, she flew. The sea was crashing down upon them, but Nephil flew like the best of seraphim warriors. The seafloor was a labyrinth of jagged rocks, too narrow for the seraphim to fly through. They tried during their escape and crashed into them, but Nephil, with her smaller wings, had they been one inch wider, she would not have fit. And more than that, Nephil soared through them, Miriam dying in her arms, as fast and as skilled as the greatest of seraphim. Nephil, who had been passed over, who had been forgotten, she outraced death itself. There was not a foot of room between her and the water on either side of her, and when she shot up from the sea floor, not half of that rising up at her feet, and yet her two small wingspan, that deformed wing, they did not fail her, not once, not for one wing beat. She made it. Suffice to say, her lover made Nephil her wife that night. And Miriam, well, she is alive today because of Nephil. An icon. <laughs> An icon. And a member of the LGBTQ plus community. They are found in there. <laughs> no, but I mean, he's telling her this story to be like, even like the little, little things you do. Yeah, like. Make a big difference. Because Farrah is like, I don't think I'm going to be able to go with the army. You yeah. know, I don't think I have time. And Azriel's like, it doesn't matter. You train as for as long as you possibly can. Yeah. And you think of Azriel, who was like, who had like such this Trump traumatic childhood and like didn't learn how to fly till he was so much older and was mm-hmm. scarred and probably like sees himself in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And like this story itself impacted him. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm going to share it with you to see if you also feel the same way. Mm-hmm. It's cute. 
It is cute. Asriel insisted they continue her training until the war arrived. That night, Farrah went home, sore from training all day. Reese comforted her, massaging her back and wings. They both wished for simpler days. I love how you like didn't put anything about that part. Nope. Because they get sexy with it. Yeah, they do. But <laughs> Peyton's like, I don't care. And I'm like, we'll just simplify it. <laughs> well, I mean, like a lot of these chapters are ending in them like going to bed. And <laughs> I'm sorry, but once you get together, going to bed ain't that fun for me. Just saying. Chapter 30. The next day, Farrah told Cassian and Azrael that she planned to ditch training for the day. They both showed up, though, like the chivalrous, I can't say that word, bat boys they are, Azrael with a salve to help with the pain and Cassian with a smile. She planned to go to the library with... <laughs> like, I'm not yelling up to. <laughs> yeah. She planned to go to the library with Nesta to look for more books about the cauldron. When her sister arrived after breakfast, both boys stood staring, as they do. Yep. It's just like Azrael's eyes on Elaine, Cassian's eyes on Nesta, and Feyre's like, dear God, help us all. Yeah. Elaine rambled about Cassian's injuries at Highburn. He claimed it would take a lot more to kill him, but Elaine said it wouldn't. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, it's going to take a lot more to get past me. And Elaine's like, no, no it, won't. it won't. Azrael offered to walk Elaine to the gardens. Feyre noted his shadows disappeared in her sister's presence. Okay, so being a member of the Akotar fandom and having read all the books except Frost and Starlight, Ugh. Um, I just felt the need to mention the thing about his shadows disappearing in Elaine's presence because there is a character in, the, in Silver Flames that kind of brings out the shadows more in a very mm. like comforting way. Mm -hmm. And there's just been some debate as far as... Uh, who is better for Asriel yeah. in that regard. And I'm like, well, we all know where I stand. Anti-Elaine. Yeah, anti-Elaine. And I'm like, the shadows are a part of him, okay? Mm -hmm. Yes, it seems so sweet right now. We're like, oh, he doesn't feel the need to, you know, bring out the shadows around her. Mm -hmm. She comforts him in that way. But I'm like, no, but they are a part of him. Yeah. Let them sing. Cassian helped fly Nesta to the House of Wind with Feyre attempting to fly herself. And we know how poorly that turns out. When Feyre asked how Nesta knew what to look for about the wall, Nesta explained she just knew the right information when she found it. I said, like calls to like? She's just like, yeah, I just... Amran said I know what to look for and I just find it. Yeah, I just know what to do. Feyre offered to go into the stacks alone, but Nesta insisted she go with her. As they walked down to the lower levels, Nesta told Feyre she never knew Feyre couldn't read. And Nesta wanted to know why Feyre never asked them for help. Feyre told Nesta it was because she never thought Nesta would agree to it. Nesta only stated that Amran had told her Reese taught her how to read. Feyre asked Nesta why she was only kind to Elaine. Nesta seemed to finally show a glimmer of true emotion, but before she could expose her truth, the floors trembled and the earth rippled. The Feylight started flickering out. Feyre told Nesta to run. Unfortunately, Nesta was slow due to her lack of physical training. They reached a fork in their path. Either they could go back up or they could go down into the darkness. Hold on. Can we pause for a minute? Because I got to talk about this and I don't know whether I'll talk about this, but Nesta's physical abilities is almost human. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's the worst physical abilities out of any supernatural creature I've ever seen. Yeah. It gets talked about a lot in Silver Flame and it drives me nuts. I think it's funny. <laughs> but also... I'll get to it later. They oh. have to utilize what they have. Like, they got the muscle, they got the skill, but like, 
If you don't use it. Yeah, but also SJM doesn't know um, what a normal person's capability is. I, normal is quite a word. We'll get to it when I get on my rant. No, you've already gotten to it one of the last episodes. Not all the way. Okay. Two females appeared in front of them, one with dark hair and one with light hair. They each had Hybern's coat of arms on their sleeves. The dark-haired one spoke first. He told Nesta they were sent to look for her, but appeared she found them first. Nesta asked who they were. The light-haired male replied that they were Hybern's ravens sent to bring her back. Nesta had taken something from the cauldron, and Hybern wanted it back. Vera told them that they would not be taking her sister. One of the ravens said she was surprised too, but they were mainly after her sister Nesta. It was then that Feyre realized the reason the cauldron couldn't shatter the wall as desired. It wasn't that it lacked any more power, but because Nesta had stolen too much from it. Oh, Nesta, Nesta, Nesta. Nesta, Nesta, Nesta. Nesta, Nesta, Nesta. Nesta. She flipped that bird and caused hell for everybody. The next next little bit. The next millennia. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, if this is such like a big plot point in this book... Me rereading it, I'm like, then what is Silver Flames about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she doesn't yeah. like harness her powers too much, I guess, in this one. Yeah. You would think she would with how much they talk about it. Yeah. But, but she, she doesn't. Yeah, Nesta, she's a little stubborn. A little? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I love, like, and we'll see throughout these next few episodes, just the, just Nesta and Elaine's involvement mm-hmm. as characters who have been so uninvolved in the past couple books yeah like finally and they have their own abilities and that kind of contradict each other in a way they really do um nesta but nesta doesn't really this is more of a lane storyline let's put it out there it's more of a lane's superpower Mm storyline which but (laughs) that's it the ravens are after the girlies. Yep. girlies. The girlies. I wonder what what decision are they about to make? Up or down? In the stacks? Where, where are they going to no, go? No, no, <laughs> no. You know what's down there, Reba? Scary stuff. Scary, scary stuff. Things that make Cassian pale. <laughs> I feel like not too much could make him have a reaction. Like, you know? Yeah. He just seems like that kind of guy. He faces big and bad stuff all the time, so yeah. it must be really bad. But we're never given a description because nobody that we've been in their minds has ever seen it except for i think it's mentioned in silver flames but not like well, it was like a big point of silver flames well i keep looking for him but they don't mention what he looks like <laughs> maybe i'm wrong you have your little talk i'm, I'm good <laughs> <laughs> they still looking for it but like cassian doesn't describe what he looks like okay okay i believe you well believe is a strong boy <laughs> you're like nah. i was trying to get through 800 pages of smut and plot holes, so... I'm gonna reread that book and have a justification for <laughs> everything. <laughs> I know. You'll be like, what about this, Caitlin? I'll be like, well, actually... <laughs> no, I'm just gonna blame it on there's more in the series, like... <laughs> like you did last night? This today yeah. and last yeah. night? <laughs> we don't know. I don't know if SJM knows. Maybe you've mentioned it to her, she'll be like, oh yeah, I need to cover mm-hmm. that. That's me as a writer, which I don't remember anything I write. <laughs> Which is kind of fun. I'm like, damn, who who did this? Me. They are being chased around. Um, we'll see what happens next. I don't remember what else has happened. Party, 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 party. Well, I guess that does it for this episode. <laughs> I guess that wraps it up. Just so that um, Caitlin can get her bra on and <laughs> Reba can eat her sandwich. 
So thank you so much for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Let's Call Nothing Pod, and we'll see ya next time. Bye. Bye. I tried to remember this before because I, it was so funny at the time. That I've been like, remember that time? And then I was like, but I don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, neither of us do. So <laughs> we need to just like redo it. Reba's deleted this from her memory just altogether. She didn't just think it was playing. funny at all. <laughs> <laughs>